Welcome to Absent Father Podcast, a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts in all areas of our life, of growing up with an absent father, how to overcome them, and the superpowers that we create along the way. I'm your host, Rodney Miller, executive coach, MBA, and son of an absent father. You can learn more about me and get in touch by visiting www.rodneymuller.com or by email at me at rodneymuller.com. We got greatness by choice. We got gravity by chance. Welcome to another episode of the Absent Father Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Rodney Miller. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about money. And maybe not in the way that you think, but One of the things that I've noticed is that, um, A, uh, money is a crazy thing. It's a made-up thing. It's ultimately just green pieces of paper, but it makes us crazy. And what I want to talk about today is money, um, my relationship to money, how I think people who grew up with an absent or distant father relate to money. Um, And, you know, that translates also to success uh, and achievement. But I really want to focus in on money today. And we're going to go a little deep here, and uh, I look forward to hearing your questions and comments. Um, you know, that energy really feeds me and, and continues to keep the show alive, having a dialogue with you. So what are we going to talk about about money? Um, here's the thing. I believe that uh, when we grow up with an absent or distant father, Somewhere along the way, we realize that the person that is most, um, the person that should be there for us, that should be our backstop, um, that is there to take care of us and protect us, we realize at some point along the way that that person is not there, that, that we can't actually count on or rely on that person for our safety. And that ultimately brings us to uh, a choice that I think many of us make, which is this choice, that people are not reliable, that we can't count on anyone for our safety, for our protection, for our well-being. So we decide that we will only rely on ourselves because relying on ourselves is much safer, uh, much more comfortable. And we might even, you know, I don't, I don't know how this shows up in life, but I think we make that decision and then we think, you know, maybe we'll give people another chance and then inevitably we get disappointed and we go right back to that place of being overly self-reliant. And one of the things that I notice is that sort of there's like a spectrum of, uh, say, trauma or pain that people experience. So the more um, painful or abusive the original wound or trauma is, um, the more self-reliant people are. So, you know, where you might have... Um, 
you know, maybe there's a, a semi-healthy marriage, but the father is sort of, uh, you know, not emotionally present, but kind of there, you know, a good dad that people would say, you know, you might have uh, a little bit of self-reliance. Um, if you have uh, a very abusive father who is not present, but when they are present, um, you know, maybe they're physically abusive or uh, sexually abusive or something like that. The extreme of that creates even more and more self-reliance and protection. So how does that relate to money? Well, if you're like me, one of the things that I realized pretty quickly was that, uh, A, I didn't want to count on other people because they weren't reliable in my mind because of the the pain of the experience of being um, completely abandoned by my father, the one man that should be there for me to take care of me, to be my backstop. What I realized early on was that the way to not be reliant on other people was to have money. So, I mean, even at a very young age, I remember, you know, uh, really being focused on being successful, um, being wealthy, uh, making money. And I couldn't wait to make enough money to not have to count on anybody else, to not be, you know, to to rely on other people for my well-being or for my own um, uh, happiness, for lack of a better term. So from about the age of uh, 15, when I got my first job uh, working at uh, a local restaurant called Fisher's uh, in Belleville, Illinois, as a busboy getting paid a little bit of money, um, I started to feel a sense of uh, self-reliance and I could start to control um, and, you know, take care of myself. Um, And the thing is that there's also this thing about there's self-reliance, which is what we enjoy. We like self-reliance. Um, and there, what that also gives us the opportunity to do is to avoid relying on others. So if I don't have to rely on even um, my parent or somebody else for getting my needs met, that made me feel more comfortable. And we'll talk about you know the disadvantages of that because some of you might be listening to this uh, and think, well, self-reliance is awesome. And it definitely is awesome until it's not. So that sent me on this journey in life where I was really interested in pursuing paths of self-reliance. Probably the first major decision that I made aligned with this was joining the Army. Uh, I joined the Army a few days after age 17. Literally, I turned 17 on October 23rd. I joined the Army on November 4th of 1998. And, uh, you know, looking back now, I certainly had a a sense of duty and uh, a sense of wanting to join the military out of a, you know, romantic sense of patriotism, uh, perhaps majorly influenced by the movie Top Gun that I watched maybe a million times. I think everybody in my generation uh, wanted to be uh, Maverick, who was the Tom Cruise character in Top Gun. But the other part that I realized that the army represented for me was, uh, growing up being reliant on self, um, or at least reliant on something that was very reliable. The army was always going to pay the bill. The army was going to be there for me for college. The army was going to be there, 
uh, a reliable structure that I could work inside of. Uh, it led me to go to college. I was really focused on how could I uh, be successful in college? How could I be successful afterwards? Took my first job out of college, making $40,000 a year, which I thought was like I, was, I had made it. Uh, little did I know that... Uh, you know, once you get an apartment and a car and, you know, a couple other things, that was that was about all of your money. Um, so even though I thought I was making a ton of money, making 40000 out of college, it, you know, at some point, very quickly, it turned out to not be enough. Uh, and it went from a job here or there. Ultimately, uh, by the age of about 26, uh, I had started working for a, an amazing company called Nova Nordisk. It's a a diabetes care company, so essentially like a pharmaceutical sales job where I was um, making really good money, had a company car, and I actually made $100,000 uh, by about age 26, 27. And uh, if you would have told me when I was 17 that one day I would make $100,000, I would have been ecstatic. Uh, to make $100,000 I thought was being wealthy. And um, it is, you know, it's a lot of money. But the crazy thing that I realized at that time was that, you know, even at $100,000, I still had money problems, quote unquote. Um, You know, it's not that I was uh, reckless with money. In fact, I was probably the opposite. Um, But that I still felt like it wasn't enough. And That is where I want to bring this into the conversation today. Because how is it that no matter what amount of money I've made, it still didn't feel enough? And no matter how much money I've saved, it still doesn't feel enough. Um, And that's not to say that I have like, you know, the most perfect finances. Because I think that people do one of two things with money, especially, um, well, I think that most people do one of two things with money. We either try to control it perfectly or we hang out in this sort of blissful denial or lack of awareness. And I certainly oscillated between the two, either perfection and control, which was usually when I had enough money, or denial and a lack of awareness when I didn't feel like I had enough money. And that pattern although I'm getting much better at it, it still plays out to today. Um, you know, having a healthy relationship with money really requires uh, a balance and a practice. But the thing that I most realize and the biggest takeaway that maybe I've had about money in the last, really in my entire life, was uh, this equation that money equals safety. So what do I mean by that? Well, I started this with talking about uh, what I decided at a young age was that people are unreliable, therefore I'm going to only rely on myself. And in order to be self-reliant, you really got to be able to take care of money. You got to be able to uh, not have to ask other people for money um, uh, in order to not ask for help for people. That usually requires money. So by having money... I could basically stick to myself. I didn't have to ask anybody for something. I didn't have to risk them saying no or risk being rejected or risk being uh, disapproved of because of money stuff. 
So it became clear very quickly that money represented safety to me. And it is profound how much this pattern played out in life. And even today, if I go look at my bank account and I see that there's, you know, a certain amount of money that I think is a lot in there or enough, I feel safer. I have a emotional or psychological reaction to the level of the account. When the account is low or very low, um, my sense of safety and feeling content also goes with it. So <clears throat> on in my relationship with money, it's essentially this emotional roller coaster. When I have enough, I feel safe. <clears throat> when I don't have enough, I don't feel safe. And that might sound obvious to some of you, but the problem is that <clears throat> no matter what amount of money we make, it's never enough. And if it's never enough, that means that we can never feel safe, truly, because if there's never enough, meaning there's never enough in order for us to feel safe, then that means that our safety and our sense of peace is always threatened. It also means that we can't really enjoy. We, we, if money represents our safety, we can't really feel safe. And if we can't feel safe, then we can't really feel joy. So this led me to thinking about, you know, when money equals safety, how I relate to money and how I like what my behaviors are. And as I was thinking about this episode, uh, there's two things that occurred to me with what I do with money, because it really represents my safety. So the first thing, and these are like strategies to keep myself safe, essentially. So the first strategy is what I would call a deprivation mindset. And what a deprivation mindset is, at least what it means for me, is that uh, my strategy for not being reckless with money is deprivation, meaning um, I try to get by on the minimum amount, whatever it is. So I deprive myself as a strategy for not spending too much money, as a strategy for trying to keep myself safe by having money. And it really sucks, actually. Um, thinking that no matter what amount of money you make, you're still depriving yourself, uh, whether it's, um, you know, uh, replacing things that need to be replaced in your home or uh, replacing um, clothing, replacing shoes, um, having an abundant amount of shoes, for example. Um, and it's not like, you know, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, you know, walking around in uh, holy, you know, jeans and, you know, ripped t-shirts and stuff like that. But, you know, the belt that I wear now it looks nice on the front, but it's got like uh, creases in the back. And it's like pain for me to just replace that because it works. Because it really rubs right up against this sort of uh, deprivation strategy. And I hold tight to that deprivation strategy because um, I'm afraid if I let it go, then I will not have money. And if I let, if I don't have money, then I will have to um, 
I will be vulnerable and unsafe. And this deprivation mindset, like I said, the mindset has never changed whether I was making, you know, $7 an hour. Actually, I think I was making like $2.75 an hour plus tips, which weren't that much because I was a busboy in my first job. Whether I was making $2.75 an hour or I'm making $100,000 a year, the deprivation mindset doesn't change. Um, I might have bursts where I have a bunch of money in the account and I feel safe enough that even if I spent a little bit here, that I'd still have enough to feel safe. So spending becomes this like made up kind of way of spending or taking care of myself that's really not based in reality. It's based in a protection mindset. And the bummer about that is, is that you know, you can you can be obsessed with success, obsessed with money, making more, you know, being successful, doing well, but but you're depriving yourself constantly. So you never get to really enjoy what you've created. And I think that's what we strive for. I think that's why we want money. It's not because, you know, the stack of green paper or the zeros in our account really matter that much. It's because we hope that it will provide us something that we want in life. Um, the second thing, that's the deprivation mindset. The second piece is this uh, protection mindset. Now, the protection mindset, similar place from the deprivation mindset, but the piece here is that the way I like to think about it is it's like uh, with money, the constant idea is trying to protect the money from leaving. Um you're essentially trying to protect the safety from leaving. So you just cling to it. Um, You might even set up uh, ways of protecting your money, which could be very good. You know, one of the things that I did from a very young age was uh, I invested in retirement savings from a very young age. Um, And it was kind of a way of uh, almost disciplining myself to protect myself because when I put away money into retirement, uh, that I knew that that was money that I couldn't touch. And so uh, it was a way of channeling money in a way that was uh, protected from leaving. It was going to stay in that account. Uh, the other thing about the protection mindset, uh, the image that I have in the uh coach training program that I I train coaches in and that I was trained in myself. Um, We we talk about money uh, one of the weekends, obviously, because it's an important topic for a lot of people. And one of the things that is said in the weekend is um, to consider relating to money like air or oxygen. Um, And with oxygen, you know, as human beings, we breathe in and we breathe out and we don't really give it a lot of thought. We just you know, comes in and it goes out. And I didn't really understand what in the heck the analogy was. Honestly, I I haven't understood it for, I've been training coaches for, you know, close to 10 years. And I think for probably eight of those 10, I really didn't know what in the heck that meant. But I now get it. And and the thing that I'm talking about with a protection mindset, if we consider that a healthy relationship to money is um, that money comes in and money goes out, it's it actually has to occur that way. It would be a weird world if money just came in and no money went out. You'd have to live, you know, as a hermit on a mountain and, you know, collect 
all of your own food source and have no electricity and be completely off the grid. So money will come in and money will go out. It's just a natural exchange of energy. And from a protection mindset, um, I, I, I want to breathe in the money and basically hold my breath until the last possible moment that I have to let a little bit out, a little bit out. And if you could imagine, if you're listening to this now, just, you know, breathe in, hold your breath in as long as you can until you have to let it out. It's a super painful way of uh, working with money, of being with money. And that is has really often informed how I do money. It's like, you know, the money comes in, which feels good, but anytime money is going out, it feels bad. And that that relationship to it, that hold on it, which I think is really created from, when when money goes out and the amount, the higher the amount, the more painful it is. When money goes out, the experience is that you're losing safety, that your very safety is being threatened. And so part of the opportunity and part of why I want to bring this to you is that, you know, in order to ever have a sense of peace and contentment in life, I want you to consider that it's not going to be how much money you make. Um, I work with people that have what I would think have made it. Some of you might be thinking that, wow, he's made it. Um, He made six figures. But I know for sure that no matter amount of money, no matter how much money I make, that my sense of safety, my sense of contentment can never be measured in the amount of money. Um, so I hope that you'll take from this to stop uh, measuring your safety with the amount of money in your bank account. One of the things that I know that's much easier said than done, but one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that you know, even the times where I was most scared, and even if I look back now and I looked at the financial situation and the money that was coming in and the money that was going out, um, I would not have bet on myself to make it through that. But somehow, all through the years, it's always worked out. And my guess is if you look back, it's probably worked out for you too. So the opportunity is, is to learn to start trusting that part. Uh, to start trusting that it will work out and and to notice the crazy relationship and the crazy extra stress that we put around money. And if we can do that, we actually have the opportunity to get to a place where we can be financially stable, financially peaceful, and to uh, stop the obsession with more money in order to feel more safe and start focusing on what would really have us feel safe in the world, what would really have us feel peaceful and stable and grounded. So it doesn't mean to ignore money, but to detach our safety from money. And as we do that, we can enjoy our money, we can be generous, we can get out of this deprivation mindset We can breathe freely and not be trying to protect or hold it in constantly. 
So I hope you enjoyed today's show. Again, this is the Absent Father podcast. It's a weekly conversation where we discuss the impacts of growing up with an absent or distant father, some of the ways that you can overcome those impacts, and also the superhero traits that we gain along the way. If you'd like to support the podcast, please rate and review in iTunes. It's the quickest way to share it with more people. And you're also welcome to reach out to me anytime with your questions or comments or maybe ideas for certain topics. I would love to hear from you. You can get a hold of me either by visiting my website at www.rodneymuller.com or by emailing me at me, that's M-E, at rodneymuller.com. Until next time.